After our little three-week hiatus, we're going to jump back into the Gospel of John. I think we, we're about two-thirds of the way through this series. I think we've got about 20 sermons or so left. It's going to take us into May to finish it up. So what I want to do this morning, uh, since we've been out of John for a number of weeks, I want to give us a little bit of a refresher as to where we're at in the Gospel of John so that we can all kind of be on the same page uh, as we move forward into this text. And also it's just, it's pretty important context for uh, where we're going this morning. So uh, Jesus has, uh, he's come, he has lived his life and through his life he has performed miracles and the miracles continually seem to build on themselves to the point where he then raised someone from death to life. And then he began to make these proclamations that his death was on the horizon. And so Jesus had gathered with his best of friends, and they were eating the Last Supper and filling their bellies. And in the midst of this time, he is utilizing the time to teach his disciples, his followers, because he understands that what is to come is a very big deal, and it is going to rock them in ways that they have never been rocked before. And so he's trying to give them reminders. He's teaching them, giving them encouragements for what lies ahead. So I want to just highlight a number of things here. We talked about the Last Supper, but then a few more things here. So first of all, this idea, um, in the midst of the meal, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, he gives them a couple of commands. And I want to highlight these because in our text today, we're going to be talking about Jesus' commands. And so the, the two commands that I want to highlight here, though, that Jesus has talked to his disciples about are the fact that in the midst of the meal, he gets up and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, which is very offensive to them. He's doing a job that is reserved for the lowest of the low, and his disciples don't want him to wash their feet. But in washing their feet, what he is doing is he, he tells them, I am giving you an example. He wants his disciples to to serve one another in the way that he is serving them. And then, uh, just following that, still at the mealtime, Jesus gives his followers a new command. And this new command is that they would love one another as he has loved them, which is basically impossible for them to do. Uh, and, and really, we talked about with this new command, what makes it new is not the fact that of the words that Jesus is saying. Because this idea of loving others, you can go back to Deuteronomy, you can go back to many places in the Old Testament, and you can say that command was given. But, but what makes this command new is the power within which people are able to carry this out. The fact that Jesus has done that. And now we are able to do that by trusting in Jesus. As he shapes us, he forms us, he works this thing out in us, we then are able to replicate him, to give some sense, though it's shadowy, Though it's, it's, uh, it's not clear in the way he does it, we can in certain ways glimpse what Jesus has done to us. So he's given these two commands to his disciples. Serve one another as I have served you. Love one another as I have loved you. Secondly, contextual, or I guess third, contextually, Jesus is talking about this fact that he is leaving. He's going to be leaving his disciples. And if we go back up to the first, ch uh, first verse in the chapter we're at, we're going to be in John 14 today. In the first verse of chapter 14, Jesus says, do not be troubled. 
And so what we understand about this whole setting, the fact that Jesus is leaving, is this reality that his disciples are troubled by the fact that he is going to be leaving them. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus isn't just leaving them, but he's leaving them to die. So he's not just going on a vacation, right, just checking out for a bit, but he is going to leave them to die. And, and so they've heard this, they understand this, and so for them, they understand that their friend, their close friend that they've walked with for the last three years is going to no longer be. And, and not just their friend, but, but he said that he's God, right? And so this individual who has demonstrated power in ways that they had never seen, that no one else can match, will not be there for them. That has taught them in ways, that has, has provided them some clarity, though oftentimes Jesus' teaching was clouded as well, but he provided them some clarity as well. He will no longer be with them. And so we have to understand that within this context, this, this crew is a very troubled crew. And then lastly, which kind of ties into what I was just saying with them being troubled, is this reality that in the verses we're looking at today, the idea of love is referenced at least ten times. So we've got Jesus sitting at this meal with his closest of friends, sharing an intimate time with them. He's teaching them about what is to come. He, he can feel in his gut what is about to happen. He's conveying to his disciples what he wants them to be and to do. The disciples, on their part, they understand that he is leaving. His words are probably impassioned, the way in which he speaks to them. Amidst all this, there's also the reality that one of their own has just left to betray Jesus. So when we look at this whole setting of what's going on, we should understand that there is high emotion going on at this meal, and there is intimacy as well. Just sense that people are kind of on the, the verge of, of tears or of breakdown. Of, and, and this is amidst also people coming to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover as well, right? So people have this, it's like this high time of the year as well. So people will be all over the place. There is high emotion amidst this intimate setting. So our big idea this morning that we're going to look at is this reality that in a world marked by trouble, Jesus stands out as a marked contrast. In a world marked by trouble, Jesus stands out as a marked contrast. And, and in the, so what, what I want to do is, uh, I want to go with John 14 now. I want to read the verses that we're going to look at uh, this morning, and then we'll kind of, we'll work through them. So John 14 I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So this is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. All right, there is a ton uh, in this section of verses, and I felt like I could have gone 30 different ways with this sermon this morning. But, big picture, Jesus is leaving, and he's saying as he is leaving, he is going to give himself to his people, himself being in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so he's going to give his Holy Spirit as he leaves to be a helper to those who are left behind, to those who are going to be facing trouble. So troubles felt by the disciples, and I think all of us can relate to this idea of trouble. Because trouble, trouble in life causes all of us to ask questions, to ask questions about ourselves, to ask questions about God, to ask questions about other people, about life in general. And the idea here that Jesus is communicating is that in all of trouble, Jesus can be trusted. In a world that is marked by trouble, Jesus stands out as a marked contrast. In verse 29, Jesus says, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So we're going to look at what Jesus has said throughout these verses. But first, if we look, go to verse 29, we get kind of his goal of what he's hoping to accomplish in these words that he's spe speaking. He is saying that what he is saying, what he's saying, so that his followers would believe in him. To believe what Jesus has said, but more so to believe in Jesus himself. This is why Jesus has come. This is why Jesus labors day in and day out 
through his life, why Jesus is going to suffer on the cross, why, teach us, why Jesus is teaching his disciples, why he has displayed power throughout his life, and why he has withheld power at certain times in his life as well. He desires that his disciples and us would believe in him, no matter what, at all times in life, that we would believe in Jesus. In the face of trouble and all that comes with it, doubt, guilt, anger, hopelessness, humanity has this tendency to question and wonder many things. And Jesus is demonstrating his awareness of this reality. That we will ask many questions in life. His, his disciples aren't asking questions here, right? But it's almost as though Jesus is preemptively, proactively answering questions that will arise in their minds. He's being proactive, seeking to bring comfort, to provide instruction, calling them to believe in himself. So trouble compels questions. And I think by Jesus, what he's saying here. He is basically answering questions before they're asked. What I want to do this morning is I want to raise four questions that I think Jesus is proactively answering. And questions that I think all of us probably have or will ask at some point in our lives. So, let's look at these four questions. The first question is, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of of my trouble. Another way in which people might ask this question is, does God exist? In verse 17, we see uh, Jesus saying that he dwells with you and will be in you, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Jesus talks about uh, manifesting himself to people. In verse 23, talking about him coming to people and making his home with them. So Jesus, what he's talking about here is he is coming to his people. He is making himself known and he is going to actively dwell with his people. So the picture that he's painting here is that God is near. God is near to his people. No matter, no matter how we might feel, no matter what we walk through, God is near to his people. I think the tendency of humanity, maybe you, you feel this way, maybe you don't, is that, is, is that we will assume good circumstances. Almost as though we expect that things would go good for us. Whether it's we deserve it or not, we've worked hard for this thing, but there's got to be some payoff for us. But we have this tendency to assume good circumstances. And when circumstances are not good, when they are troubled, we can, we can oftentimes wrongly assume that we've been abandoned, that God is far from us, that he has left us in some way. The reality is, and God makes this clear over and over throughout scripture, is that God desires good for his children. He desires good for his children, but oftentimes good comes via difficult circumstances. If you think about your life, you think about the times in which you feel like, or you've actually, you can actually tangibly say, yes, this happened, that you grew spiritually. When you look back on those times, 
My guess is that most of us don't look at moments of bliss in our life. I think most of us are going to look back at times when we, when we got put through the grinder. When life was hard and we saw how Jesus was faithful to us, how he was enough. Maybe not in the moment, but afterwards. Bring healing, comfort, freedom, joy, hope. I was watching this video this past week. I, I noticed that, like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Like, it's like always, like, oh, is that sermon illustration? Like, this stuff is just kind of always going through my mind. So I was watching this video, and uh, it was just kind of a, a vi- it was a goofy video in some sense. But this guy, he, he comes into this store, and he is robbing this store, okay? So there's his security camera in there uh, watching everything that's going on. So he comes in, he comes behind this counter, and the worker understands what's going on. The worker goes out from behind the counter. They want no part of this. And, th- and this dude who's robbing the store, he, he just let, lets it transpire. There's, a, there's another mom with a baby uh, in a stroller right in front of this counter where this worker goes, and the worker kind of shushes this person out. Uh, and you can hear something in the background of uh, the video, like, get out of the store. And so what this worker is doing is this worker is, like, getting everybody out of the store. So they go out of the store, and the worker locks the door. And you can only get in and out from the outside, like, this one door. You can only lock and unlock from the outside of this door. So the worker locks this thief in the store. And the thief like gets the stuff that he's looking for and then he just kind of he's going to go out the door and he realizes the door is locked and he's like oh this isn't good so he kind of like puts his shoulder into the door a number of times starts kicking it a few times it's like oh he walks to the back and he sees if there's another way out somehow and then he starts running at the door and he's like throwing himself at this thing that doesn't work pulls a gun out he starts like capping this door seeing if he can get out that way and he's, he realizes at this point he's up a crick, right? Like, he is in trouble. He sees people outside the glass door. He starts pleading with them, help me, I got nothing. Like, just help me here. And they're not giving him the time of day at all. They're just waiting for the cops to come. And then, and then you hear this guy say, God help me. God help me. But what this guy doesn't realize is that God's actually helping him. By letting him get caught in this, in this crime. Like, he needs to be exposed. He is a wicked individual who is doing extremely wicked things. Him getting out of there is not God helping him in any way. Actually, so when he says, God help me, God is helping him by keeping that door locked and causing him to, to feel the repercussions of his crime. And I think this is true for all of us. God's help is oftentimes unexpected. It doesn't look the way in which we might expect it to look. We need to be exposed. And many of us, when our sin is exposed, it doesn't oftentimes feel like, oh, this is God helping me. But that is God's kindness to us. When our sin is is exposed when we're outed because that's what Jesus does on the cross. He outs everybody. The fact that perfect man and God hangs on a brutal bloody cross says 
you and I are all outed. Our sin is that bad that God has to die a brutal death. And so that also happens in everyday normal circumstances as well. When we are faced with troubles that leads us to doubt God's existence or his involvement in our lives, we, we need to remind ourselves of Jesus' words. Even here, in these 17 or so verses, as Jesus talks, we need to remind ourselves of these words, that he loves those who love him. He comes to those who love him. He dwells with those who love him. And to believe otherwise, the fact that Jesus runs away from us, that he doesn't care about us, that he abandons us, that he leaves us on an island, on a deserted island all by ourselves, is to believe a lie of Satan. Jesus does not leave us. It is always us leaving him, chasing after sin in some way. So Jesus is always there, always near, waiting for us to turn to him to look to him. Secondly, second question. If God's there, does he care about me? Does he care about what's going on in my life? Verse 16, the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God cares deeply about us. And to the point where we should say, that is so unfair. He cares that much about me, that is unfair. He shows his care by sending us a helper. And not just a helper, but a helper who will be with us forever. This helper will teach followers of Jesus all things. This helper will bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said. God's Spirit intends to help us to know God's truth, to remember God's truth. But, but not just God's truth, but it says all things as well, right? In, so, in an education-centric society. I think this is so insightful. God sends the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. It's pretty all-encompassing, right? Like, we've got teachers here. I'm not capping on teachers in any way. But God sends His Spirit to teach us all things. Think about that. As you learn things through your mundane days, day in and day out, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to help you learn. And Jesus says in verse 18 that he's leaving his followers, but that he is also coming to them. It's kind of confusing, right? I'm leaving you, but I'm coming to you. His leaving, what he means here is his leaving is not like how children are orphaned, okay? Not left to their own, just abandoned, to fend for themselves. Jesus' leaving is purposeful. He is going to prepare something for his children. So he's leaving with purpose. But he's not just leaving, he's then planning to come back to his children, to rescue them, to take them to be with him. So he's not abandoning, he's not orphaning them in any way. That's not always leaving. He's leaving with intention, then coming back to rescue them so that he can then take them to be with him. 
And this depiction of God as a loving father who is a helper, helping his children, Jesus also is saying that this should bring us peace. That it should actively fight fear, anxiety, trouble, stress in our lives. That God's helper, the Holy Spirit, will bring peace to us because he is a good father who will care for his children. And if you think that this is a world that uh, is not lacking peace, uh, or, or that you are a person who does not need help, I would encourage you to go and sit at a kid's sports tournament for a while. I spent six hours yesterday at a kid's sports tournament. Okay? You talk about continually being reminded of how and why humanity needs help. Okay? Parents yelling at their kids, yelling at the refs, coaches yelling at kids and yelling at referees, referees yelling at coaches, kids being lazy, blowing off their coaches. I mean, it is all over. The glory that parents are seeking to find in their kid being this great athlete. And I'm including myself in this. My kid's not playing right now, so I can find myself thinking scoffing thoughts. Oh, my kid could do that. Like, my kid would listen to that instruction. And, and so I'm not capping on people besides myself. Like, I'm included in this thing as well. But it is a messy deal. And, and I was thinking about this yesterday. You've got all these kids out here. And many of the kids, they are seeking the attention of adults. They're functionally orphaned, many of these kids. They are yearning for their parents or somebody's attention. They are busting their tails, giving of themselves because they just want somebody to help them, to care for them, to love them in some way. The Holy Spirit intends to be near to us. The Holy Spirit intends to help us. He knows that we need help. Every single one of us, we deeply need help. So part of the call for us is to ask for it. Seek help from the one who wants to help you. There's many people who don't want to help you. Like, I don't want to give you the time of day, but the Holy Spirit comes to be our helper. How do you do that? How do you ask the Holy Spirit to help you? How do you seek the Holy Spirit to help you? Is it just like in those moments of life when, when you're in grave danger or you can't handle it anymore? The Holy Spirit intends to help us day in, day out, in all of those small, mundane things that we think we can handle on our own. He wants to be our helper. We need help so much more than we realize. We need God's help. Now I'll press this a little bit further as well because, I mean, a good portion of the population struggles with fear. We struggle with being afraid of things, whatever it might be. And I would say that as we 
wrestle with fear, being afraid, feeling troubled, feeling stressed, that there, there's aspects of this reality that indicate that we are believing in something other than Jesus. This thing that we're looking to is not providing us what we want it to. And, and nothing else can. No one else can provide us what we're looking for. Only Jesus can give us what we need. And so that's why Jesus continually makes this robust uh, call to people to believe in him, to trust only in him, not in all these other things. We're continually bombarded with many other ways in which we should, or things we should trust in. And Jesus says, no, only me. And let my Holy Spirit help you, lead you, remind you of who I am, of what I have done, so that you would trust only in me. All right, third question. If God is willing to help, so we might say he's good, okay? But is he able? Is God powerful enough to do something about this? And Jesus answers this question as well, verse 30. The ruler of this world has no claim on me. Jesus is not just some nice guy who's then impotent. Jesus knows what lies ahead for him. He knows that he's going to be hanging on a cross where he is going to be completely destroyed. He knows that these events will cause him to look weak, will cause him to look not like God, not like God at all. And so the rumblings of trouble that the disciples currently feel at this meal will break into a terrifying earthquake that brings forth all of their fears and doubts. Jesus knows this lies on the horizon for his followers. They will look at the situation. They will look at Jesus hanging on the cross, and they will be tempted to believe things about Jesus that are false, things that are opposite to what he has taught about himself, things that he has revealed. They'll believe that he is not powerful because he looks so weak. The cross will make Jesus look pathetic. But he is assuring them that even that is part of God's plan. Verse 31, he says, I do as the Father, the one who is over all things, I do as he has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is good and he is powerful. He is good and in, in, in that he is willing to do something about trouble. And he is powerful. He is able to do something about the situation. Now, when I think about God in this context, it's easy to draw a contrast with myself. So I, I desire to convey goodness to my kids in many ways. In many and at many times, I fail in this. So I have to proactively fight, okay? To proactively fight against harsh words, harsh words, okay? So that I'm cultivating in my heart this desire, uh, this understanding, this willingness to speak affirming, encouraging words to them. But I still speak harsh words to my kids. And, and even in that, I need to fight against 
this reality of, uh, try, of not being a good father. So I have to repent. I have to tell my kids, I'm sorry. Daddy has spoken to you in a way that is not acceptable. I have sinned against you. I am sorry for doing that. I've got to proactively fight against being disengaged. There's tons of things running through my mind that I can think about those things. I can run to my phone and I can spend time chasing stuff on my phone. I've got to proactively fight against being disengaged. So there are many ways in which I will try and show good to my children. Many times I fail, but there are many ways in which I'm seeking to show good to them. But power? Ah, I'm lacking, right? Like, look at me. You're looking at me right now, right? Like, it's obvious. I lack physical power. Sometimes I feel like when there's a slight breeze outside and I'm walking down the street, I wonder if people are like lurching for me because they just want to catch me if the wind blows me over or something, right? Like if I turn sideways, like I almost disappear, right? Like because I'm so, you guys couldn't see me, could you? Right, I'm just kidding. But, but the reality is like I do not possess physical power. Despite my effort to want to do good to my kids, there are severe limitations. So, uh, my five-year-old Blake, okay, for years, he has loved for me to be able to throw him up in the air, okay? When he was two and three years old, I could do that. Now he's five. It's not easy for me to do that, so I throw him up a handful of times, and I'm gasping. I'm like, I need a break, dude, and he's like, ah, come on, dad, right? But so he, in that, he could get this sense like, my lack of physical power diminishes my goodness. But it's not that I don't want to love him. It's just that I'm weak, right? So I desire to convey goodness to my kids, but there are severe limitations, but not God. There are no limitations to God good, God's goodness and his power. In our lives, we will face many adverse circumstances. Even right now, many of you are facing adverse circumstances where you will be or are tempted to think God, thoughts about God's goodness and or his power, to question the limits of his goodness and his power. But here's the thing. God is so powerful that he will take troublesome, horrific realities, and he will use those things for our good. It's not just that he's good and he's powerful. His goodness and his power extends to those parts of our lives that are marked by trouble, that we would never walk into. And he takes those things and he turns them and he uses them for our good. I think in this is such a challenging level of trust. God can do that. He's that good that he would do that for us. And I think we see a bit of this challenging level of trust in verse 28. Jesus is speaking of going to his father. He speaks of his father being greater than he is. And he says, if you loved me, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to my father. He, he's outing his disciples. He's saying, you're not rejoicing in the fact that I'm going to my Father. You're just worried about yourself. But if you loved me, if you understood that I'm going to a better place, that I'm going to be with my Father,
Father, if you loved me, you would rejoice in the fact that I am going there. But he's outing them as not loving him. He's outing them as not trusting in him. And, and here's this call for us to trust Jesus, that even in the troublesome parts of life, that we would believe, we would know that God works good for us. That in our pain, there is gain reserved for us. That it's not wasted. This is one of the great promises of the Bible. That God, he, he doesn't waste anything. Even the hardest parts of our lives, he won't waste those. He'll use those for our good and for our growth. And as Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Our strength is found in our weakness. Our strength is found in Jesus' weakness, and oftentimes our strength is found in those circumstances of life where we are weak as well. Okay, fourthly. So I believe that God is good. I believe that he is powerful. I believe that he loves me. But how do I truly know if I love him? I mean, I keep sinning. I keep doing the same thing. How do I know if I love him? Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So here's the deal. We all sin. Every single one of us, every day, disobeys God's commands. Now, this doesn't just give us a pass to sin, but it provides context for Jesus' statement here. Jesus isn't saying that people will obey God, and then in their obedience, they're creating a greater love for God. They're showing in themselves, that, or they're creating in themselves this greater love for God. Rather, the expression that Jesus is making here is of obedience. Our obedience displays a love that already exists. So our, our, as we obey God's commands, we're not increasing our love per se. The obedience is flowing out of a love that already exists. It's just displaying what is already there. So keeping Jesus' commands displays the deeper prior reality of love. And so then we might ask, well, what are the commands? And this is where we go back to what we talked to earlier, the, these couple commands that Jesus uh, was talking to his disciples about. Now, we could also say, I think, this would include all of Jesus' teachings, okay? All of Jesus' teachings. But it's appropriate then to hone in here contextually to the two commands that he just mentioned. Our love for Jesus is displayed, is verified as we serve others and as we love Jesus' church. That is how we love Jesus, by serving his church, by loving his church, by looking beyond ourselves, not just terminating on things here, but we get beyond ourselves. Now, some of us, maybe all of us, will say, well, that's great, but it's impossible. Because it's impossible for us to serve and love others 
perfectly. So if we narrow this down a little bit more, we come back to Jesus' call to believe in him. Jesus is telling all of his disciples all of these things so that they would believe in him, that they would place hope in Jesus, not in their ability to keep all of his commands, but in the fact that he kept the commands perfectly. And in that, then, let the gospel, let the good news of Jesus, since we're focused on him, we let the good news of Jesus be the primary shaper of our story, of our lives. Jesus came to earth specifically because of humanity's inability to keep God's commands. That's why he came. So it's not as though in these statements, Jesus is just laying another dead, cold command on us, saying, go do it now. No, he's saying, I have done that. Believe in me, in the fact that I have already done what you cannot do. And this is how we obey Jesus' commands. We believe in him. And as he shapes us, as we understand who he is and what he has done, and this takes hold of our lives, we'll begin to love and serve others as he has loved us. But first, we must understand how he has loved us. And then our reciprocal response, or our response then is that we love him. And in loving him, the natural outflow is then that we would obey. Obey these commands to love and serve others. Including then when we disobey, we repent. We turn from that. We confess our sin. I was wrong. I hurt you. I sinned against you. Because that also is obeying Jesus' commands. So I think in this section of verses, we see Jesus standing out in a variety of ways. And we can say that in a world marked by trouble, Jesus stands out as a marked contrast, a needed contrast. He is the helper that we need. So three points of gospel application as we close this morning. First of all is is just this depiction of God. So we, we always have to start with God. We get this depiction that he is this humble helper, okay, that no one can tame. No one can lay claim on his life. So he's a helper. But God is much more than a helper as well. Like we need to be saved from ourselves. We don't just need someone to come and clean up the mess that we made. We need someone to come and do everything to save us. So God is a helper. But no one has a claim on him. No no one can say, I control Jesus in some way. And yet, his response is, I'm coming to help you. People who cannot help themselves. And not just to help you one time, but to help you day after day, forever. So he comes to help, to save, and then he helps by keeping us. He helps us by teaching us. And one thing I'm blown away, he helps us by reminding us. Have you ever thought about this? What a massive full-time job it is for you to be reminded of God's goodness? Like, I think about this with myself. How quickly I will go and doubt God. And God says, I send my Holy Spirit 
to remind you, to bring remembrance of me, of all that I have said and all that I have done. He's doing that day after day, after hour, after hour, after second, after second. He is working on our behalves. He gives peace, fighting our fear, fighting our trouble, our anxiety, our stress. He desires that our lives would be marked by peace. He cares deeply about people who have done nothing to deserve his care. It's an amazing depiction of God. And then secondly, this is kind of a 1A almost, but this idea that God is an orphan God. So Jesus speaks these comforting words. I don't leave you as orphan. But it's not just that he doesn't leave us as orphans, but do you realize that he is about to be orphaned himself? He has this perfect relationship with his father. His father, is, he wins like the daddy of the year every year, okay? Like his dad never lets him down, never fails. The most faithful, loving, kind dad ever. And Jesus is going to be cut off from him. He is going to be orphaned from his father. So it's not just that he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but he is going to go and become an orphan on our behalf so that we don't need to, and so that he can rescue us as well. Jesus is orphaned for the orphans. It's amazing. It's an amazing reality. And then third, as we see who God is and what he has done, admit your need for help. Admit your need for help. You need help. You need help. You need help. I need help. More than we know. Let God be and do who he intends, what he intends to be and do. If you're a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, maybe many of you kids, the call for us in this is to relent, to surrender to Jesus. Let Jesus be your helper. Receive his love and forgiveness. If you're a Christian, see how unchristian it is to reject God's help or to assume sufficiency. We do this unconsciously all the time. It is a very unchristian thing to do, to just think that we can coast through our day, that we can do this on our own. It is to our detriment. Jesus desires good for us. Go to him. Seek his help. Let him be your helper. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for these glimpses that we get of you. You chase after us. You rescue us. You save us. And then you walk with us day after day. You leave us not to our detriment, but for our good. You plan to come back and to bring us to be with you. But until that day, you've given us your Holy Spirit. 
to teach us, to understand that we live because you live, to bring remembrance of the things that you have done. So Jesus, open our eyes and soften our hearts. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to understand in greater ways and with greater clarity what you have done and what you are doing even now so that our lives would reflect your glory. Others would see glimpses of you in and through our lives because we're believing the gospel. We are pinning our hopes on Jesus. Help us as we sing these songs and we reflect who you are and what you've done. In your great name I pray. Amen. You guys stand as we sing these songs of response. If anyone wants to uh, observe the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you guys to do that in the back.